Today's scripture reading comes from John 4, 1 through 15. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become him in a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. SGV The Way, thank you so much for inviting me today. I am so happy to be here. Um, You know, Tim asked me to speak on a very light topic like race. Uh, You know, just like, uh, okay, (laughs) I can do that. Um, But I'm grateful for Tim, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you guys. Um, I thought I'd just start by just acknowledging, man, I just want to say you got a great pasture. Um, I love his authenticity. I love his passion for Jesus. I wrote some thoughts down, and I think he's just so encouraging. and just love that about you, Tim. He didn't pay me to say that. It's all free. You know what I'm saying? No payment, no 20 bucks on the side. It was all free. So I just want to say you guys have a great pasture. The passage we just read is a story about a woman um, in this town uh, called Samaria. And it says that Jesus had to go through there, and he interacts with her at this well. Now, um, a couple of things I want you to understand about what it must have been like to be married in that time. Um, I go to a church that, you know, we're kind of back and forth. We talk to one another. We, we, uh, we say, what's up? You know, we, we, I ask them questions. They turn in twos. They talk about that thing. I'm here in East L.A., just over the bridge. Um, and so you're going to have to affirm me a couple of times just because I'm going to need that, especially in a new place. I need to know that you are alive and well. Um, and so anyhow... Uh, real quick, this is what I understand what it was like to get married back in the day. A young stallion, of course, would go to his bride-to-be and propose and maybe give a little dowry to the parents, ask for the permission. Maybe there's a little arranged. Best I understand that in this time, what happened is that the husband-to-be would go away and he would prepare a house on top of the house that he lived and he would come back, and then these bridesmaids would light candles and guide the groom to where the wife was, and they would begin to celebrate for seven days. Now, as a Latino man, I know what it's like to party for a night, for maybe to 12, to 1, to 2. 
This is a seven-day party. People must have been tired. Now imagine it's because people coming from all kinds of walks, uh, like just long distances. So you would stay multiple days since, you know, they didn't have subways or airplanes. You just don't turn around and just go back. You would stay and be present to the bride and the groom for a while. Well, anyways, the woman in the story had had that experience five times. The woman in the story has been divorced five times. Now, outside of losing a child, outside of, like, losing a spouse to death, divorce is probably one of the most painful things you can ever imagine. In a culture that's very conservative, very religious, this woman has suffered this incident five times. And in that time, I don't know that women had any right to divorce their husbands. Indeed, only husbands had a right to say, nope, you're not doing it for me. I'm going in another direction five times. What was it like when her, for her when she went to Thanksgiving meal, per se? What was it like for her? Back in the day, they didn't have Christmas, but what was it like for the family reunions? What would people say? What would it be like for her when she goes to sleep at night and she thinks? What would it be like for her in a small village where everyone knows her name? She knows what it's about. It's like, it's a party of the town. I want you to turn into this real quickly. What do you imagine it's like for this woman to live day to day? Where she goes after being divorced five times in a small village, what's it like for her in this town? Talk among one another, one and twos. If you're online, think about that. Maybe write down some reflections. What's it like to be this woman who's been divorced five times in a very religious, conservative culture? Talk to one another. All right, come back to me, come back to me. I'm going to talk about maybe five categories, four categories. So like for her socially, what do you think it's like for her economically, right? What do you think it's like for her just um, spiritually, how she relates to God? I'm going to do those three categories. Somebody help me out, um, and I'll say it again for the sake of the people online. Uh, what do you think it's like for her to live in the small town after being divorced five times? Anybody talk to me. Let's have a conversation. Lonely. Who's that? that? Lonely. Lonely. Why do you say lonely, brother? Talk to me. Excellent. So he said it's, she likely feels lonely feels like an outsider seeing other friends who have remained married. Maybe she's thinking to herself, what's wrong with me? So we all have internal dialogues and we all say things to one another, particularly when we mess up or something tragic happens in our lives. We say, what's wrong with me? Why does this happen to me? Why, why, why? The question, why? Fantastic. Great insight. Anyone else? What do you imagine it's like for this woman to be divorced five times in this culture? Anybody? Rejected. Talk to me. What do you, why do you say reject? That's a great word. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. So maybe uh, like she she don't know what value she has anymore. You know, after you go through one, two, three, four, five, you're like, where do I stand? Do I have anything to stand on anymore? 
Interestingly, in this story, usually women would go to the well with the other group of women. She goes alone later in the afternoon. They would have gone in the morning. Who are her friends? What do they think of her? Someone who's done some things in the past or things haven't gone wrong. After a while, you're kind of like, I don't know. Some things might stick. Anyone else? Last person. What do you think it's like for this woman to live in this time? Rejected is a great word. Lonely is a great word. Anyone else? Help me out. I need your help. Unsafe. Unsafe. Why? Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, in that culture, um, women who didn't have husband or children that grew up, their uh, viability financially was completely lost. What are we going to do? What does her future hold? So if you've ever been stressed about finances, you've ever been stressed about how you view yourself, if you've ever been stressed about like, well, what do people other think, think of me? If you've ever been stressed about what God thinks about me, this woman has history after history after history of sort of thinking these thoughts. She finds herself at this well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about this well. This well was uh, Jacob's well. And historically, biblically, wells are where people go and find wives. For example, Moses found his wife Zipporah at a well. Jacob and Isaac found their spouses at the well. Here's this woman here at the well, and Jesus is rolling up, and he's asking for something to drink. She's there at 12. It's later on in the text. We didn't read that part in the text. Later on in the text, the disciples had questions about how she, uh, why Jesus was engaging her, but it says that they did not dare to ask any questions. This was a scene where like, what are you doing, Jesus, right now? Now, I'm a pastor. I live in East L.A. I assume that if someone saw me at Whittier Boulevard talking at a bar with a woman, my congregation or some of the people in the neighborhood might be like, what's going on with pastor? What's pastor doing talking at the bar? What's he doing on Whittier Boulevard? Why is he there? This is sort of like one of those moments where you're like, this looks a little suspect. Not only that, John, the biographer, the biographer of, that we just read, has set up a motif of marriage. In John 2, this, this whole idea of like weddings. In, uh, he's at the wedding making wine. John chapter 3, John the Baptist actually says, I'm the groom waiting for the Messiah to come, and I'm going to introduce him to the bride. It's just my privilege to stand here as a groomsman to see this happen. That's in John chapter 3. and John chapter 4, you have a woman, divorced five times, waiting for someone to say, I do, I see you, I love you. This is a crazy scene at the well. And then next thing you know, Jesus asks, give me something to drink, and they start getting in a dialogue about thirsty and who's thirsty oh what do you have to drink and this interaction back and forth and the interaction says give me something and the woman says he kind of she does a heisman on him ah you don't know me you're a samaritan i'm a jew we have no dealings with one another what are you doing talking to me no less at the well you have no business it would be the equivalent of a white and a black woman talking and maybe say in an all-black neighborhood and the white man's there 
engaging in a conversation during the civil rights movement. Awkward. Suspicion. Why are you talking to me? And the woman, of course, she gets a little sassy. I'm just going to make it up. She gets a little sassy. And she says, how are you going to ask me for a drink? We got no dealings. And then Jesus comes back at her and says, if you knew who offered you to drink, you would have asked me for something to drink, and it would have bubbled inside of you into eternal life. I have eternal water. You know, you know, this water don't, don't provide for you. I got something better. The woman scoffs, of course, and says, what are you talking about? You don't got nothing. Jesus, again, repeats, woman, I tell you the truth. This, this, this well will not provide for you. This well runs, runs only so much. Like I, this, I have something better. Finally, the woman says, fine, give me this drink. <laughs> and Jesus says, go call your husband. And then she says, I got no husband. And he says, you're right. You've had five. And the guy that you're with right now, he ain't your husband. Oh, oh, Lord Jesus. Have some pastoral sensitivity, Lord Jesus. Just straight wait for the juggler. Not even sensitive about the issue. Not even Now, I want you to talk about inner interaction. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now. What do you imagine this woman thought to herself as Jesus says, no, you've had five, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. He didn't know her. There was no Instagram, Facebook. There's no, nothing that he could have known except he's God, and he tells her, here's your history. Here's what you're really thirsty for. It ain't this water that you're thirsty for. You've got a bigger thirst, and it's inside of your heart, and it's really for men. You want someone to say you're important. You want someone to say that you're valuable. You want someone to say, I see you. I commit to you. No matter what, I'm down for you. Even with all your past. See, the crazy thing is we all want to be known, right? We all want to be known. All of us want to have a desire. Please, someone know me. Can someone see me? And yet the scariest thing also is to be known. Because once they see everything, really, even now, you still want to get to know me. You still want to. Commit? What do you guys imagine it is like for this woman, complete stranger to Jesus, being told, you're right. No, you're right, you have no husband. You have five, and the one that you're with now is not your husband. Turn in twos. What do you imagine the woman feels in that moment? Talk to somebody. All right, come back to me. Any thoughts about what she might feel in that moment? I mean, what would you do if someone just reads your mail, reads everything about you instantly in the moment, all the different things you want no one to be know about, and just Jesus just, let's just drag it out right here for us just to examine. What are you feeling in that moment? Somebody, talk to me.
She was in awe. Okay. Oh. Yes. It's right. At that point, she doesn't know who Jesus is. Are you a witch doctor? How do you know this? What, what is going on? What is going on? How do you know all of my information? And it is a little freaky when someone you barely met all of a sudden can tell you every horrible, wrong thing that you've done in your life. That is scary and yet impressive. <laughs> scary and impressive at the same time. Anyone else? Tell me what you might feel or think if Jesus drags out your business to discuss. Expose. All right, you want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. All right, all my stuff is out in the open. It's like, where's a fig, where's a fig leaf when you need one? Where, where's some we can hide this bad boy, right? Uh, you know what she does next? Classic move. She changes the subject. Check it out. Jesus, uh, she, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while Samaritans claim it's here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped. What did she do? Change the subject. She didn't want to talk about all that. Later, later on, Jesus tells her, okay, you want to talk about religion, about you should worship on this mountain, and I hear you. She says, oh, um, he says to her, you guys really don't know what you're talking about. But you know what? Uh, she says, I know the Messiah is coming, and one day... He's going to explain all things to us. And then he says, I'm standing right in front of you. The guy you've been waiting for, person who loved you no matter what, I'm standing right in front of you. I love you. In that moment, I almost feel like he proposed. Will you marry me? What? Beautiful story about a woman who wanted to be valued, wondered if she could ever be valued, knew her rap sheet, and here you have the Messiah. It was the first time he had ever revealed who he was to a person in the Gospel of John. Amit. Now, This is a very powerful and beautiful story. You could take it in and sort of like, man, God, thank you for knowing me. Thank you for loving me. Despite what I've done, despite what I continue to do, Lord, thank you so much for your commitment to me. And we should sing hallelujah and we should praise God. The subject that I was given today is talk about race. Cross-cultural witness. What does this have to do with it? What can it teach us? The fact of the matter is, I see a couple of things here that I think can instruct us when it comes to cross-cultural relationships. 
Now, whenever we talk about racism uh, or race or racial reconciliation or any number of things, ethnic identity, all these different things are kind of like a little like mind traps, right? You step on the wrong thing, boom, oh, boom. Someone has a feeling about it, boom, it's scary. Um, And I think in light of what happened all last year, you can feel a little paralyzed by fear. You can feel a little bit discouraged. You can feel like, man, I don't know what to do about this situation, particularly if you have a global view of racism. I mean, I think about, I just, maybe about two years ago, three years ago, went to the Dominican Republic. And in the Dominican Republic, the Dominicans have issues with the Haitians. I'm like, what? Crazy. Talk about apartheid. You talk about the Armenian genocide. You talk about the Holocaust. You talk about the rape of Nanking in the 1930s. You talk about how uh, some Central Americans feel about Mexicans as they cross the border. How uh, just different cultures have issues with one another. When you have a global perspective on the issue of racism, you can get a bit discouraged and feel like, Lord, when? Lord, help me. But the Bible is replete, filled filled with resources for us as his believers. I mean, take out Jonah. Here's a guy who says, God, I don't want to engage those people, not them. And his, and his sort of hatred for those people is so thick, it takes some, a deep-sea experience with a large aquatic animal for him to say, all right, I'll go. If you look at even like Moses... He names his son foreigner out of depression because he knows he doesn't fit in the culture he's in. He's married to a non-Jewish person. He comes from an Egyptian majority context. And God's telling him to go back. In fact, God almost kills him. After he gives him the, the mission of let my people go, he's on his way and God almost going to slay Moses, because he did not circumcise his son. He was a nomad. I mean, does he fit here? I mean, think about Daniel. Daniel is this guy who was kidnapped, likely castrated, um, taken from his family, his culture, and put in a place and to, you know, put salt into injury. He's asked to work for us and make the nation that destroyed your people better. Work for the imperial government. I mean, I might have some feelings about that. I might have some real strong feelings about that. And then you go to the New Testament. You have the Samaritans and the Jews. In fact, Jesus, you know, when he went to the cross, that wasn't the first time he almost experienced death, or he experienced death there, but that wasn't the first time he was almost going to die. The other time was in uh, Luke, I think it's chapter 4, after he gives his mission statement, and he talks to a group of people, and he says, you know, when God was looking for people, faithful people, he picked a non-Jew to heal called Naaman, and he picked a non-Jewish woman uh, to help Elijah, because that's where he found faith. The Jews got so angry, they said they took him to the edge of the cliff, and they were going to toss him over and kill him. Now look at Acts chapter 2, the Hebrews and the Greek women Acts chapter 10, Peter's having a conversation with this, this vision of God. and say, no, God, I won't. He's asked to go to Cornelius' house. And he says, when he finally goes, he says, oh, now I see that God works even in you. 
Cornelius, you Romans. Can you imagine saying that today? Now I, wow, God works in Mexicans too? What? No way. I mean, in our day, Peter would have been fired. Social media would have been all over that. CNN would have been all over that. Peter, get him out, man. Get him out. He can't be an apostle no more. And yet he had this real issue. And not only him. If we're honest, all of us. If Peter had it, we all have reservations and doubts and fears about the other. I think our culture says the problem is out there, but we're not racist. Nah, not us. But if you look at the world currently, it's history. If you look at the Bible, all of that indicates otherwise. It says that we need help. We need a savior when it comes to the issue of race. And it's not out there, it's in here. All of us. So what can John 4 teach us? First, don't be afraid of placing yourself in awkward situations. Stay there. Where did he find this woman? In Samaria. No less a well where there's romantic nuances. Awkward. Real awkward. Jesus would tell us, don't be afraid of awkwardness. Enter in. Step into this. Step into this. I've had my own run into awkward situations because um, I'm a minister at ELAC. Sometimes, uh, I'm sorry, East LA. Sometimes I go to ELAC, East LA College, and I'll try to do some evangelism on campus. And now I am currently 44 years old. My wife ain't here to verify, but I think that's how old I am. Um, so I'm 44 years old, and sometimes I'll go over to the campus, and I'm talking to these youngins, young bloods, and I'm hanging out, and I'm just like, hey, man, want to talk about Jesus? I don't approach it like that. I try to be a little bit smoother. But I, there's, only so, there's only so much smoothness a 44-year-old guy can have at a college campus when you're talking to athletes or when you're talking to young people. I don't even got an Instagram, people. You know what I'm saying? I just, I'm hurting. Why do we do this? I remember another occasion. Um, I was at a church function, and um, these three guys came into the church. I used to go to a Spanish-speaking church in Yorba Linda. Yorba Linda is a pretty affluent community, pretty rich area. And these three guys walk in. One of them had a do-rag on. One of them had tattoos. One of them had a long shirt. And they walked into a Spanish-speaking a, a, I was a part of. I was dressed pretty fly that day. I had myself a, a crew kit neck shirt, you know, maroon. I had a tucked in. I was looking good. And then um, other people at the church, some people just dressed kind of formally. And they walked in and they were sticking out like a sore thumb. I mean, they were just, Lord, quickly, because one of the things I'm really passionate about and I want you to be passionate about is any cultural thing that gets in the way of someone knowing Jesus needs to be put at the altar and sacrificed. Everybody, whatever the cultural thing that we, however we do church, needs to change if someone in, can't walk in and feel comfortable. And I think a truly multi-ethnic church, at the end of the day, everyone should feel a degree of, uh, I don't know if I feel completely good with this or that or the other. 
everyone will have a certain degree of uncomfortableness. Now, these guys walk in and they're feeling, I'm sure, uncomfortable, but they're there, and I think they're there to seek Jesus. But they know they don't fit in. It's like the one time that I went to uh, college ministry one time, and I was looking, I was just a freshman in college, I was a bit of a Pharisee. I'm coming in, and I'm like looking for what fellowship I'm going to be a part of. And I remember, I go over, I open this door, and I think it was the Korean Christian Fellowship. I walk in, and I was immediately, and I don't think, I don't know that they had a sign. I just immediately knew, this ain't for me. Why? Because there was no one in the room that looked like me. There was no one in the room that I could identify with. We got to enter into awkward situations. Back to the story of these three young men. I remember going into the restroom. I take off my shirt, red shirt, and my, my body hadn't seen the sun in a good while. It was like, blah, just white, pale, smacking this, you know. And I had like a, like a muscle t-shirt. There ain't no muscles under this, right? There ain't no muscle under this, but I had a muscle t-shirt on. And afterwards, I went up to these guys. I introduced myself. I said, hi, how you doing? And I invited them to my house. And for the next few weeks, they came Sometimes high, but they came seeking Jesus. They came to ask questions about God. I got a chance to pray for them. They became friends. Whatever it takes. Awkwardness. Step into it. When's the last time you made your life awkward When's the last time you made your life accessible to someone who is different than you? All part of a, an association, and it's primarily all white. Most of the guys in the leadership uh, forum is all white. I'm like maybe one of two Mexicans, three Mexicans, a group of like maybe, I don't know, 40, 50, 60. At the time, I don't remember how many pastors were in the room. They're doing the worship jam, and we're having a conversation about race. And I was trying to help people kind of understand what it would be like. Like, imagine if you were an all-black gathering, all-black pastors, and you're the only white dude. How would you feel? How does it feel for someone to come that's different into this congregation? And what are we doing about making them feel at home? Especially if they're seeking Jesus for the first time. Man, do whatever you got to do, but don't be a barrier. Let not culture be a barrier. Step into the awkwardness. Step into the awkwardness. Second thing I think we can learn from this story is that when you step into the awkwardness, you will need to persevere. You will need to persevere. When I go to ELAC, it's not like these guys are just like, oh, good Lord, come here, baby. Yes, I've been looking for a preacher to come and just talk to me about my life issues. No, that doesn't happen. I must persevere. We must persevere. When I was a freshman in college, God bless his soul, I had a friend named Johnny. He would come every single week. Knock on my door. Enrique, 
Do you want to go to Bible study today? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I saw him as a square. I judged him. And every week he'd come. Enrique, you want to come to Bible study? Nah, I'm good. I'm good. Finally, one day I said yes. And I went to a camp. And if it wasn't for Johnny, I wouldn't be who I am today. If it wasn't for Johnny knocking on my door every week, pushing past the nose, what did this woman do to Jesus? Heisman, nope. You are a non-Jew. I mean, you're a, you're, a, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. No way. You're black. I'm Mexican. Dwell there. Persevere there. Stay there. Don't be offended easily. People are going to put like, oh, one of my favorite heroes right now is this guy named Alex Dobbs. He's uh, just joined our staff team. And I love Alex because this brother comes from a Christian high school, went to APU, white boy, about this tall. I mean, you know, he's a shorty. Long hair, like just a beard. And he's hanging out in East Los, East Los Angeles, where he sticks out. Mm. We were looking for housing for him. I hooked him up with this place where... You know, he's in it for real. I don't want to just, I don't want to talk about all the things that's going on there, but he is in it. I take him out to Maravilla, the projects out here in East LA, not too far. And he's hanging out with the youth. You don't think they have opinions of him? My wife is white. And she went to T-Mobile to get us some new phones. Um, And when she got there here in East LA, they thought that she was the secret evaluator. They thought she was the secret guest. Like, oh, snap. It's for real. The bosses had told us that they might send some people, but here she is. And she was just there for phones. They told her later, you know what, for real, I thought you were the secret, you know, you know evaluator that's going to give us evaluation. You are going to be misunderstood, misinterpreted judged and it is not going to feel good but we are there for a reason we are there on mission we're going to push past how people interpret us to real relationship and when it hurts we're going to take that to Jesus and we're going to remember how Jesus had to persevere to reach us back then and even now Tim Keller has this great analogy. He says that the fireman will come out to rescue a cat on a tree. And as the fireman approaches the cat, the cat, because he's afraid, will scratch and claw and do whatever he can because he's afraid of the fireman approaching, not knowing that the fireman actually is out to save. And the fireman has to endure scratches and all this other stuff. When you go, if you're really committed to Racial reconciliation. You're really committed to, ah, God, we need some healing in our land with respect to race. You must not only be find yourself in awkward situations, you must persevere and dwell there. Past the fences. Past the fences. And in our day, with cancel culture, we are far too easily offended. We need to say, for the sake of the gospel, 
I can see past this and make a relationship with someone who offended me, who didn't understand me, who judged me. Now, Johnny is one of my heroes, but had he not persevered, I wouldn't know what, what Johnny was about. Johnny's now a hero of mine. He changed my perspective because he persevered. Other thing, I'm gonna just, I mean, there's lots to say about racism and there's lots to say about stuff, but I think just a, one last thing about what we can learn about this passage is um, when you go, don't judge. Don't judge. Jesus could have said, girl, you little hussy. I know who you are. Five husbands. I hope that when I first had you think about this woman in the beginning of our sermon, you grew in compassion for her. Lonely, without value, etc., etc. How did she view herself? I hope you grew in valuing her. But from the outside, just the rap sheet, all you're going to see is divorced five times. On the outside, you might see, well, I don't know about this dude. He looks suspect. I don't know about this girl. At face value, you won't get very far. Do not judge. There's this guy um, named Joel Islas. He's kind of a former gang member in East L.A. And when he first came out to our church, Joel is a fiery guy. You know, he's done some time. And when Jesus saved him, he's passionate about God. And he's just, you know, one of those guys that like to tell it like it is, just tells you, you know, here's what God's saying. Pass. And usually what I do in our church is I give people an opportunity to say, how has God been good to you this last week? Please, before we begin, someone stand up. 30 seconds. Please tell me how God has been good to you. Usually Joe will stand up, and instead of actually, sometimes he'll, he'll share what he's feeling, but sometimes he'll just preach. Sometimes he'll just get up there and talk to a brother and a sister. Just start talking about God and what God wants from you. And he just starts telling people, right? Now, as a pastor who's starting this church plant, it would make me nervous at times. It would make me nervous because I'm like, oh, Lord, am I going to lose this right here? Is, this the, is the service going to go south real quick right about now? What's going to happen next? And then I started to think, where else does a man like Joe, given his background, get an opportunity to have a safe place where he can express himself. When else does that happen? Where else can he ha- that happen? With his former gang members? With his family that's broken? Where else? And I realized that this value of an excellent service, and he needed to bow down to Joe having an opportunity to express what he feels and what he thinks. And it would be very easy for me to judge him. Oh, man, this last, this last uh, Sunday, we had a brother come in. His name is Robert. 
Worship bands going for it, doing their thing. Mm, mm, just loving God, just doing their thing. And in the background, this, this brother's almost hitting the chair, just like, Dios mío, perdóname, Dios, perdóname, Dios. He's in the background doing his thing. Lord, Jesus, help me, Lord. Forgive me. He's sincere. Pray, I'm, I'm so proud of my mom. My mom's really made a lot of, she's, her faith is taking off. My, my mom, like in the last two years, my mom goes up to this guy. He start, she starts rubbing his back as he's starting to cry. She gives him some tissue. Congregation's kind of looking in the back because this guy's causing a bit of a scene. One of the guys comes up to me and says, <laughs> this guy's name is Easy. We call him Easy, Ezekiel. Hey, Pastor, if, if he gets out of hand, you know, let me, I can handle it. You know what I'm saying? We can kind of like, take him outside or whatever, right? So uh, I, go up to, I go up to the robber, and I start kind of like listening to him. I start praying with him, and he's just giving his heart over to God. He's giving his heart over to God. And I pray a blessing over him. He says, I'm good now, Pastor. I'm good now, Pastor. Praise God. Praise God you met God here. Praise God you met God here. And praise God we didn't judge you. Because it would have been so easy to say, hey, these are our values. You don't fit. Sorry, you're going to have to take that outside. Because you're crying too loud. You're worshiping too loud. You're asking God for something that's out of order. I think, I think the scriptures are a lot messier. I just think the scriptures are a lot messier. People are a lot messier. We are a lot messier. A little later on in the afternoon, we had like a little pool party. We meet at the Boys and Girls Club. This brother was swimming in the pool, hanging out, having fun, eating, part of the family of God. He was trying to pick up on one of the girls. I did notice that. But he's in the church. Are we going to disciple that if he comes back? If he comes back, we're going to talk about some of those things. But he made a connection to Jesus. He made a connection to Jesus. Number one, put yourself in awkward situations. Number two, persevere. Number three, do not judge. Stay long enough so that what you see changes you. Stay long enough so what you see changes you. If Christians embrace these three things, we'd have a different conversation about race year to year. But I realize that we're scared and that it's hard and that it's costly. It costs a lot. Where will we get this power to do this? God. Has Jesus reached you? Has he persevered? Has he said to you in those moments where you felt like, I don't know if I have value, I want to marry you? Have you felt the touch of God? Have you felt his embrace, his compassion? Go and do likewise. This is your power. It is not a duty. It is not a burden. It is my joy to be 
misunderstood perhaps, even put myself in awkward situations. Why? Because Jesus has touched me. Because Jesus has met me. Because Jesus is my everything. It's the only reason that you have Johnny's knocking on some punk, young freshman's door in college. That's the only reason Johnny would do it. It's the only reason that Alex Dobbs comes to East L.A., though he has nothing in common with the people around him, because he's been touched by the hand of God. It's the only reason, it's the only reason I took off my shirt and tried to connect with these guys. Why? Because I have been touched by the hand of God. All glory to God. He persevered even to death, past awkwardness. For you, for me, this is your power. This is your energy. Your, this is your passion. This is your mission. This, my friends, is the essence. And at the end of the story, I love at the end of the story, the disciples come back and everyone's tripping like, oh, snap, Jesus talking to this woman at the well. Did you see? I know. I saw him too. Crazy. It's a crazy scene. No one dares to ask him anything, but he says, Jesus, here, get something to eat. And Jesus says something, I have food to eat you know nothing about. This is nourishing my soul. Do you see the kingdom of God being expanded here? Do you see someone who didn't know God now coming to faith in Jesus? Do you see someone who's completely different walking into relationship with God now? Do you see the church being transformed with people that are not just like you or me, but all people, all nations coming in? It only happens when you, when you see like Jesus and say, ah, I like this kind of food too. This nourishes me. Bible study, hearing sermons, worship songs, they're all good and great. But Jesus says that there's something else that feeds the soul. His mission. Let me pray for you. Jesus, will you light every single person up in here with passion for your mission? Would you light every single person up here with passion for your mission and love and affection for you? We we remember right now, God, how much you love us, how much you said, I see you and I still love you. I'm committed to you. I'm loyal to you. God, would you help us remember that every day that we might reach out to someone who is not like us? Father, rescue us from our own silos, from our comforts. And help us, God, to say, I am honored, Jesus, to pay a cost for the sake of the mission and the advancement of your kingdom. Lord Jesus, help us. And so, Father, if uh, there's someone that comes to mind right now, I just want to give you 30 seconds. If there's someone that comes to mind right now, maybe it's a family member that thinks different than you politically. Maybe it's a neighbor who you'd never normally talk to. Maybe someone at school or at work. Think of a person right now. And see that person with the eyes of Jesus. Father, I pray, God, that in the next few weeks, this church would have testimonies of moments they reached out 
placed himself in awkward situations, persevered, and did not judge, sought to love, and they saw your kingdom expand. I pray that there'd be joy here. In Jesus' name, amen.